leave the sanctuary, not physically, in your mind, leave the sanctuary and go back in time to the Sea of Galilee. You can look out over the sea and you can see that there are a few boats out there. You can see some men with their boats on the shore. Some just pulling them onto the shore. Others already with their nets out and flipping the fish out onto the shore and seeing what they can keep and seeing what might make them a a shekel or two. And here comes a man. He walks over to a couple of the fishermen and he says, follow me. And they do. Does anything strike you as odd about that picture? Cynthia Anderson expresses my thoughts and questions in an essay on today's gospel passage. She says, They didn't ask questions. That's what always astonishes and terrifies me about this story from Mark. Jesus shows up by the sea, calls out to Simon, Peter, and Andrew, tells them he's going to upend their lives and give them a new vocation, and then commands them to follow him without a backward glance or a thought for the family fishing business. Mark records no questions asked by either of the fishermen. And then in the space of one more sentence, Jesus issues the same call to James and John with the same results. In a flash, they're out of the boat and following Jesus. Cynthia has some other thoughts about this. I'm weaving her wise words with my unwise ones, hoping that you won't be able to tell the difference. How would you respond as Simon, Peter, or Andrew, or James, or John, if you were there with everything you've ever known, your father fishes, so you fish, would you drop everything to follow him, sensing that this is what you've been waiting for all your life? Or would you, perhaps more like me, be likely to blurt out, who are you and where are you going? What's your plan and how do I fit into it? What happens to my family business and all the people it supports? Why are you calling me? And once we catch these people you're teaching us to fish for, what are we supposed to do with them? There's no business plan. No evangelism outreach strategy, no job description, no interview, and no time to consider the pros and cons of the offer. Just an itinerant preacher who appears on the shore, shouts an invitation, and walks on. You ready to lay down those nets? Or Would you sit in the boat pondering your options until Jesus is a speck on the horizon before making your move? Bible scholars caution us against reading the texts in the Bible as if we could just plop them into the 21st century 
We can't really go back to the Sea of Galilee. A few of us may have been there, but not many. We have to have the context in a way to understand. And this story, like many other call stories throughout the Bible, is particular to that time and to that people. But these call stories confront us with a reality. The reality that God has a habit of showing up in unexpected places. Like a lifeguard blowing his whistle, Jesus invites us to stop, look, listen, and turn around from wherever we are and follow him. No questions asked. In the story, Jesus has come to Galilee announcing God's good news. Good news. The good news is that we can know God in a better way than we have ever known God before. And no longer is good news an abstract rumor circulating at local gatherings. Now we are seeing the good news. We are seeing Jesus before our eyes. And as he invites these particular people, Simon and Andrew, James and John, to follow him, and participate in his mission, he invites us to follow him and participate in his mission. It has that take-it-or-leave-it note. If you've ever been to a local market in a place where they like to bargain, you might know that you sort of you choose what you want, and then you have a price in mind that you're willing to pay. And, of course, the vendor has a price in mind that he wants you to pay. And if, if you can't agree, then you have the option. Take it or leave it. Now, the vendor might chase after you once he realizes you're willing to leave it. Jesus invites them. Jesus invites us to be part of his life and mission. And now, like those disciples, we decide what to do in response, if anything. What does it take for those of us in the ordinary boats of life to respond immediately to Jesus' invitation, to get out, get out of whatever boat we're in and follow him, no questions asked? What keeps our feet stuck to the bottom of the boat? A list of rather obvious barriers comes quickly to mind. Perhaps it does to you. Responsibilities to families and members of our churches and other communities. They expect us to be in the boat every day doing what we do to fulfill our responsibilities to them. So wouldn't it be irresponsible even crazy to walk away with some street preacher? If we can somehow move beyond that barrier, there are also some prudent cautions on our checklist. We're supposed to carefully analyze our situation, set goals, and make a plan. 
Our Sunday school class was talking about this this morning in marriage, about having a dream for our marriages and setting goals for what we want it to be in a few months or a few years and ten years down the road. That idea of pushing that, that carefully crafted plan overboard at the crook of Jesus' finger leaves many of us with shaky hands. But perhaps the stickiest glue that holds our feet to the bottom of the boat is the desire to be in control. We go to elaborate lengths to gain and assert control over our lives, our families, our work, our finances. And much of this control is an illusion. It's sort of like the psalmist describes the the scales of balance those of low estate and those of high estate, no matter what level you are sociologically, the scales are going to go up. It doesn't matter. You're lighter than air. It's God, the one that that weighs us down. We conjure up our illusions to keep from seeing and admitting the truth sometimes that even with all our diligence that financial markets may in fact crash. Disease may enter our lives. People may behave badly and relationships may be damaged. It's hard to live with these quavering uncertainties and so we hide or we pretend that we do have it all under control. And this makes it hard to respond to Jesus' call. Because in order to say yes to Jesus, we have to follow a leader who stands the world on its head. He brings us face to face with our humanness and challenges us to stake our lives on his promises instead of our well-laid plans. Following Jesus is life-giving and transformational. But we don't get to draw the map or have our questions answered before we start walking with him. We have to listen to Jesus' call and take that first step. So it's uncomfortable. Jesus stands on the shore giving an invitation that makes real promises, but those promises also have demands. Repent, Jesus says, and we need the reminder because it's an ongoing task. Again and again, we turn around, we turn back toward Jesus and locate our refuge in God. Cynthia Anderson says the one thing that makes it possible for us to follow Jesus is that we know he will walk the entire way with us, leading the way right into the kingdom. It helps, too, to know that we have brothers and sisters walking alongside us, all of us within this room and millions more without are seeking to experience and share the good news of God's love and acceptance and care. When we can release power and control to God, 
Unity is no longer impossible. Psalm 62 began with this personal call to prayer. For God alone my soul waits in silence. The psalmist learned centuries before Jesus came that God is the only refuge for us. And there are more descriptive words that the psalmist uses. God is not only a refuge for us in life's storms. God is also the psalmist's hope. The psalmist's mighty rock. Salvation. Fortress. Deliverance. And honor. And we pray with the psalmist that God would be our refuge and our rock and our salvation personally and for our church and for our marriages and other relationships. We pray that God would be the refuge and rock and salvation of our new president and those serving alongside him. We pray that God would be the rock and refuge and salvation for our servicemen and women and for missionaries all around the globe. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. God is a refuge for us. So we'll take a moment to wait in silence as we invite God to take hold of us and our desire for control as we invite God to transform our lives, perhaps again this day, because we have listened and waited and prayed. For God alone, let our souls wait in silence.